Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gaze. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and uh, I just want to say this episode is dedicated in memoriam to Bradley's bank account, because he was just showing me, we, we're recording this on the same day we recorded Act 1, uh, he was just showing me on the break his new bobbleheads, Star Wars bobbleheads that he's gotten into collecting. You know, Funko has a hold on my life. And Truly. at this point, they should just hire me to work for them so that I can just get a discount because I'll just spend my paycheck back in on their products. That way they never really are paying me. I'm paying to work for them, basically. I truly like listeners. If you've never tuned into a show before, Bradley's recording area of his room has like a wall and shelves of Funkos behind it. And it's just nothing but Funkos. Normally when we record, I have posters behind me. They're not up in the new apartment yet because I just, I haven't had time to get things up on the wall and I haven't had time to get my new posters framed, but he just got a wall of Funkos. And I'm eternally curious, Bradley, uh, if you've ever used your Funko collection to get men into your bedroom. No, but I will say the last man that I did have in my bedroom looked at it and was like, huh, <laughs> interesting. See, I have used my Star Wars Legos as a pickup line. I am quite clear with the fact that I have a bunch of Star Wars shit in my room. I will say I have had an instance where there is a there is a there is a boy in my life um, who I have brought it up and he keeps saying, oh, well, I'll just have to see your room sometime. Like, uh-huh. so there's there's definitely like uh-huh. there, you have to find the right person to bring it up to. That's how you know you've got a keeper. Right. That's how you know you've got a keeper. Uh, yes, uh, we are we are planning some video content here coming up. I am about to be unemployed for a little bit, so I am looking into that. And so possibly the people may get to see what your just wall of fucking Funko Pops looks like. However, for now, if you are just joining us, we are filling the time in between Obi-Wan Kenobi and the premiere of Andor on August the 31st, in part by treating the Rogue One movie like a three-episode miniseries and doing our deep dives into that film act by act. Today we are on act two of the film. So if you are watching along with us, that is time code 50 minutes and 54 seconds to one hour, 21 minutes and 24 seconds. Or the sequence where um, Krennic and Tarkin argue over who owns the Death Star all the way up to Cassian volunteering his services with a bunch of people to Jen, and specifically when he says the line, welcome home. That is what we will be covering today. So that covers everything on Edu, basically. Uh, Edu, Mustafar, and the council meeting. Bradley, one thing you liked about this section and one thing you did not. Hmm, one thing I liked about this section. Um, one thing I did not like about this section, honestly, the Darth Vader scenes, and I'll tell you why. I Don't get me wrong. The line where he says, be careful not to choke on your aspirations, director. That is one of the best Darth Vader quotes in all of Darth Vader quotes. Okay. That is one of the funniest bits in all of Star Wars. So actually that's my favorite thing in this, in this section is that one quote from Darth Vader. I think it's so fucking funny, especially since he's literally choking at what he says. What I don't like about the scenes though, is they felt out of place. I, yes, I, it just doesn't feel like it belongs in this movie. 
I mean, it works to an extent, but it's like, why would Krennic take the time to fucking go to Must- Mustafar, talk to Vader? Like, he could, they could have just done this on the hollow. Like, there's no reason why he needed to go talk to him in person. It's a power play. Uh, yeah. Vader is summoning him there. He says that he summons him there. It's Vader specifically wants to make an example to Krennic that you will, if you fuck up, you will show up. And we will have a conversation about this and it won't go well for you. However, I will say this scene very much did feel like it's in there so Darth Vader can be in the movie. Well, and I I think you brought this up on the last episode where they were filming these Vader scenes in case the Tarkin stuff wasn't going to work out. And I feel like this is kind of either a leftover bit of that or it just... They were like, well, we'd like it. So we're going to keep it in because, you know, we have him later on in the movie. And I don't know. I, it, you're right. It just, it just doesn't feel right. I don't know. Something about it. It just doesn't feel like it belongs here, which is arguable because on the other hand, I, I, you're right. It is a power play. It is like a, it is good to have him in that dynamic with Krennic and Tarkin. I like the three of them trying to like, not outdo each other, but like there's the politics of the empire are so fascinating to me. I I love Krennic being like, um, well, you know, it was Governor Tarkin that suggested the test, and Vader's like, how about you keep my bestie's name out of your fucking mouth, bitch? How about that? There, we'll get to it when we get to it, but uh, there's we'll a particular... We'll get there when we get there. We'll get there when we get there. What was one thing you liked? Uh, the the line uh, that Darth the, the line. Careful, sure. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm going to choose as my thing, because there's other parts that I like, but that was definitely like the highlight for me. Uh, for me, this this section here, one thing that I liked was uh, the, the p- politics of both the Empire and the Rebellion come out very strongly. Mm-hmm. This is some of our first indication on screen as to how the Rebellion operates and, and sort of how disjointed and dysfunctional it actually really is. Right. Uh, what with Draven doesn't know where they're what's going on so he orders the fighter strike on Edu, and then Cassian's like what the fuck don't do that and Draven's like well we can't we've we've already pulled back and then they have the whole scene with Mon Mothma and and the council that they're still trying to kind of do a diplomatic or a democratic thing but it's not really working I really really loved that one thing I didn't like I've changed my opinion on Chirrut a lot I thought originally he he didn't really work for me. I have now, after viewing the movie many times, he works very well. However, the bit where he fires his gun at a TIE fighter and the TIE fighter hits a, a, a gun emplacement, I was like, that's stretching it a little far for me. No, but that enhances my theory that he is semi-sensitive. Slightly Force-sensitive. Um, right. Certainly his faith in the Force gives him you know, a, a level of protection. But I thought specifically that part, I've always been like, even if he has like supernatural levels of hearing, that's that's kind of a little far yeah, to be able to push that. So that was the only thing about this section that I was really kind of meh on. Okay. Oh, and there's one more thing. I will get to it when we get to it. Um, I, will, I don't want to go into detail, but there's the scene between Mon Mothma and um, Jimmy Smith that I want to talk about because I feel like that scene was super enhanced for me after watching Kenobi. And it's going to get even more so. I have a specific note yeah. about watching this after Kenobi. All right. So uh, when we last left our heroes, they were speeding away from the destroyed holy city of Jeddah, which has been taken out by the ominous Death Star. On board the Death Star, Orson Krennic's pride in his achievement is undercut almost immediately 
when Grand Moff Tarkin seizes control of the weapon, explaining that Krennic's failure as a military director is leading the leadership to believe that he is not capable of handling the project. Meanwhile, aboard the U-Wing, Jen explains the message that she received from her father to Cassian. However, Cassian says that without the actual message itself, they are not going to have enough proof for the Imperial Senate. Jen convinces them to go to Edu, the installation where Galen Erso is, and rescue her father, not knowing that Cassian is under orders to execute the scientist. My only note on the Krennic and Tarkin scene, which I love and is like gay bitching at its finest, yeah. is that it really highlights the character flaws of Krennic in this movie and why he ultimately loses at the end of the movie. It is his arrogance right. and it is just how out of his depth he is with players like Tarkin, Vader, and the Emperor. Mm-hmm. Is Krennic is woefully out of his depth. He is he is playing checkers and everyone else is playing chess and he thinks he's playing checker or he thinks he's playing chess. Right. He's anyone in their right mind could have figured out that Tarkin was going to take control of the weapon. But Krennic's so arrogant that it blindsides him. And I yeah. I do love that. And you know what I was getting from this too is now that I've read the Thrawn books and I, you know, I read the last um well, I've read the first three at least. Uh, I'm currently reading the the last three and the character of Ronan in the third Riley Ronan yeah in the third Thrawn novel correct he you know he's such a devoted Krennic stan like he is so <laughs> you know what I mean in in that novel he literally talks about Krennic all the time he wants to be Krennic essentially right and he is this like tiny little gay nerd who's like obsessed with Krennic and he's like his he's like, you a fucking know. he's a fucking stan oh my god he Bradley really is Ronan, Bradley Ronan runs a stan account for Orson Krennic right and he he wants he wants Krennic to be his daddy so badly like he is just like obsessed with him right and I get like I can see the similarities there like where Krennic is arrogant and very like you know I am the smartest person in the room even though he's not it's very similar with the Ronan character where he believes in the same kind of mentality of I'm smarter than everybody else because I'm following in the footsteps of this amazing man who's going to take over the empire and galaxy and blah 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 right so I just love the similarities there because I feel like they wrote the Ronan character with the Krennic character as like this father not father figure but you know what I mean like daddy figure daddy figure yeah yes uh 100 that is what's going on and ever since our our Thrawn episode that we did with uh Claudia I have never stopped imagining Briley Ronan is looking like fucking Jace Rucklin so it's it's just so funny to me wait wait I need to look that up what that looks google like. google google Jace Rucklin from from Resistance because right, I don't remember from the conversation. Jace Rucker. Oh, that's right, right. The, like the he, platinum he looks blonde like a hair. Platinum blonde fucking twink yeah. no, swanning about in a cape because Daddy Krennic has a cape. I'm trying to see what... Um, we we don't know canonically what I think Bradley Ronan what, actually looks like. We don't know what he looks like? Okay. We don't know what he looks like. Oh, shoot. If I type in Ronan Star Wars, it doesn't come. <laughs> no, there was a much better character that was involved in, in a Star Wars thing. Yeah, there's no picture of him. Um, damn. Yeah, I want like a maybe maybe in the future if we ever get our Empire show where they all just squabble between each other and it's very like political. 
maybe maybe Ronan will show up and he'll be like this super fabulous like um <laughs> Burnley like, Ronan in the Andor series. Let's go. Oh, okay. So I found a nice, I found a cute little fan art of him. I guess it's on Tumblr or something. You can't really go on Tumblr anymore. I don't know why people try to do that, but here Tumblr is still exists, apparently. I I haven't been on Tumblr since my uh since days we won't talk about. Uh, do you we don't do you, we don't discuss? Do you watch um Umbrella Academy? I've seen the first season. Okay, so this characterization of Ronan looks a lot like Klaus um very effeminate very like like walks like with his arms like all over the place it's so funny i love it uh and i want it i want capes in star wars i want imperial empire capes just people walking around with white capes all the time because i feel like krennic does it so well in this movie every time you see him you're just like why is this dude wearing this like cape for no reason no one else is wearing it oh my goodness i think i found the image i found it oh my goodness yeah, this, this. Uh, I'm looking at some other other fan art of him. He's usually looks like characterized as a twink, but he doesn't appear in this movie. So moving on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sorry. I, not to go. I mean, we, there we go again, getting off track of stuff. There that we go. Matter, we're on a tangent. But, you know. We were just having a discussion of like, we need to keep this episode shorter than fucking right. two hours. Back to Edu, I guess. Uh, I love the rebel method of transmitting. Uh, it is very World War II where they have the bank of people that are sending it. Their whole job is to send and receive messages. Uh, I really do like that a lot. And it also causes problems. I like that it actively causes problems in this section where they're having trouble relaying things. Diego Luna is such a goddamn good actor. You think that's why they're giving him this show? Probably. Just because of this movie, they were like, wow, he's so fucking good and we're so sad that we killed him. Like, we just need to give him something else. Like... Probably, I'm sure that was probably part of it. Well, originally I heard that the Rogue One characters were contracted for uh, two movies and oh. obviously they changed it. And I feel like some of that contract carried over, which is why we're getting so many Rogue One characters back is they were already contracted to do a movie and Disney just blanket renegotiated for a TV show. Interesting. I never thought of that because I think that's, similarly, I feel like that's what happened with um, Marvel similarly. Like they were doing that with like the, I think it was the Captain America character or something where Chris Evans was like, they were like, oh shit, you need to do like three more movies as Captain America, but he's only going to be in one more. So we got to like figure out how to put him in cameos and Spider-Man and shit like to count as part of his movie deals. And so- Because he wants to be done after Endgame. Endgame, yeah. Yes. Captain America now being played by Anthony Mackie. That's right. Hollywood reporter. By the time I, by the time I, I make that annoyed quip, it will have been several weeks past, but as I'm presently recording this, the Hollywood Reporter had a truly atrocious fucking excerpt from an article where they were like, uh, Anthony Mackie's going to be playing Sam Wilson, but he's not playing the Falcon. And Chris Evans had to chime in like, Sam Wilson is Captain America. But Diego Luna is so fucking good in the scene because like when he gets the orders, he's already starting to doubt his orders. And you can tell just from Diego Luna's body language and facial expressions, but he goes through this whole journey of, I want to protest, but I'm not going to, I'm going to follow my orders without even speaking before he turns around. Bodhi Rook needs to be in more things. And I think it's a goddamn shame that he hasn't popped up in barely anything. I I feel bad too, because I feel like he kind of, in this movie he gets jipped in his character because the stuff with the the boar gullet or whatever you know makes him not not stupid but his mind is like a little scrambled and he has so. to kind of piece it back together over the yeah. course of the film and like it's there it's in the whole like his whole arc is about he he undergoes this experience where he's tortured 
he's very confident uh, and he's trying to do what Galen Erso instructed him to do. And then he undergoes this traumatic experience with the partisans and he has to kind of reaffirm his own confidence. So by the end of the movie, and we'll get to it when we get to act three, but by the end of the movie, he's much more confident and he's, he's giving orders to the, the rebel troopers. Yeah. He has just such a nice little scene with Jen in this that I'm just like, look, Cassian and K2 got a comic series and now they're getting uh, a show. Chirrut and Bay's got a comic miniseries and a book. Uh, Jen Erso's had multiple things about her and shown up. So, so he's the only one of the crew that doesn't have anything. So he's the only one of the crew that hasn't had anything yet. And that's, yeah. a, that's a problem. That's a shame. That's a, that's a problem. The U-Wing with the Rebels arrives on Edu, where it crash lands. Cassian and Bodhi head off alone to quote-unquote scout the ridge. However, when Chirrut and Baze reveal that they believe Cassian is planning to kill someone, Jen takes off towards the platform. Meanwhile, Director Krennic arrives and assembles everyone on the platform, including Galen Erso. Krennic demands to know who has leaked information to the Rebellion when he threatens to shoot people. Galen steps in and confesses. Krennic shoots them all anyway and tells Galen that Jeddah has been destroyed. Meanwhile, up on the ridge, Cassian, who has sent Bodhi back to the ship, prepares to take a shot at Galen, but finds he is not able to. Do you remember how I talked about... um, do you remember how I talked about uh, each one of these different theaters being a different theater in World War II? Yeah. In the last episode. So now we're on our second one, which is Edu. And this is the biggest stretch. Um, because well, it's that's not never quite happened exact. in Star Wars before. <laughs> I had to stretch it a little bit, but I believe Edu is meant to be invocative of the European theater of war. Okay. They didn't really fight in the mountains per se. The mm. environment is not quite the same. Okay. However, it is dark and it is raining and it is disgusting and they are attacking a small base with a small group of soldiers going after a strategic objective and then with the bombings and everything that's occurring. It's the biggest stretch, but if you're looking at it in the each planet, major planet, and this is a theater of war, Edu is evocative of the European theater of war without just being the European theater of war. I also don't know much about the Eastern Front of the Second World War. Most of my knowledge is the Western. They could have done a lot of fighting in the mountains uh, on the Eastern Front, but I'm actually not really sure. I haven't studied that that much. Erin could probably tell us because she's big into military history. That is my note on that. Did you know that uh, Cassian Andor canonically has weaponized his good looks? Oh, so he's basically, again, James Bond. He's being like... Yes. <laughs> he is He is James Bond and his M is Mon Mothma. The only difference between Andor and then Rogue One is that he has a little bit fuller of a beard, it looks like, uh, in Andor. So it's like, he's just going to be a little bit more scruffy looking, you know? And the... I'm, I'm okay with that. I am <laughs> fine with that. Canonically, according to a reference book, he has weaponized good looks. So when... Chirrut's like he he or no Bay says he has the face of a friend that's how Cassian does things is he's he looks so appealing mm. and good looking and then he will fucking murder you of course Bayes would say that of course he what Bayes knows 
Yeah, he knows. They have such the energy of like two older daddies sitting at the end of the bar, people really watching do. and being like, oh, he's cute. Yeah. Uh, this is where we get the line where Chirrut wanders off, where mm. he says, I don't need luck. I have you. And Bay's like kind of smiles and it's right. very gay. It, gay, it's, gay, gay, gay. This is such, this, it does give such like old couple energy. Like we've been together for so many years. We just know what, you know, nothing can bother us anymore. Like we're just always together. And it's like, I don't need luck. I have you by my side. Canonize their homosexuality. Please, Please, somebody out there. I mean, I don't care if it's an author or whoever, like whoever has the ability right now to do that. Can you just write something or put it in a paragraph somewhere where it's like Bayes kisses Chirrut on the lips or something like just so we know for sure, like canonically. Give it to us, please. This sequence, the character dynamics of this scene with Jen and Krennic and Galen and Cassian so good without ever turning to the audience to explain what's happening. Jen sees her father like for the first time in ages. Cassian is prepared to shoot Galen Galen hops in front of the engineers, and even though Cassian has a shot, because he got the shot because Galen hopped in front of the engineers to try to save them, Cassian can't take the shot. It's mm. Krennic is just lording this over Galen. Like you can tell he's been waiting for years. Like it's so good. And what's annoying too is, or not annoying, but like Krennic's character, it's so funny because Tarkin told him, like, oh, it's on Edu or whatever, is that this security leak happened. And he's going, that's where Galen Erso is. He knows it's Galen is the one who did it. So he doesn't even have to like think about it. He doesn't go like. So when Galen says his line, Mads Mikkelsen, you fucking legend. <laughs> the exact intonation he goes is he says, it was me. It was me. Emphasis on the was. It was me. So he literally is like, everyone knows. He, he knows Krennic already knows it was him. And Krennic is threatening the engineers to get to Galen. And Galen knows this and he's going to do it anyway. He's going to confess anyway because it's the right thing to do to try to save the engineers. So much, so much can be drawn out of where the emphasis is placed on one word. We talked about in one of the episodes of Kenobi how like specific word choice can inform a character. Specific intonation can inform a character. Acting right. is hard, y'all. Thank God I'm not an actor. I've done it a little bit. I, I don't want to do it professionally, but I enjoy being in community theater and, and I enjoy being in short films and things like that. It's very hard to do. I remember uh, I had a friend in college who was very dismissive of actors. She was very, you know, acting is not that hard, yada, yada, yada. And then she had to do it. She had to do it for a, right. a class assignment. And her entire perspective on actors changed when she had to get down in the weeds and actually understand how much work goes into the delivery of even one line she's like this is really difficult it's not that you empty your brain it's it's your brain is full you have to keep track of all of this stuff so shout out to you mads uh you are amazing um i'm sorry you had to be in the turf wizard movie but you were however in other better things due to a miscommunication and misunderstanding at rebel command a rebel bombing squad arrives at Edu at this exact moment and begins blowing up the facility. Orson Krennic escapes, but Galen Erso is killed by one of the bombs, but not before being able to reunite with his daughter. The rest of the rebels escape on a stolen Imperial shuttle. Jen confronts Cassian over the fact that he was there to kill Galen. 
and that he lied to them, and they have a heated discussion on the way back to Yavin 4. I don't have a lot of notes about the bombing sequence and and the the death of Galen Erso just because it is such a good sequence and because most of my notes are explained in the movie. What with it being Alliance bombers that did it? I thought that was a really interesting and neat choice. And also the scene is very fun. Yeah, I like the um I like the set piece. I think it's fun. I like I like, you know, the X-wings and the TIE fighters, you know, fighting each other. It, it's always a good time whenever you see. Very classic Star Wars. Classic, very Star, Wars, classic right. Star Wars. Very classic. So I enjoyed it. Uh, however, I, I do have two notes on the argument in the Ewing afterwards. Mm-hmm. The first is Cassian's line, which I want to bring up now because I feel like it's going to be important here when Andor comes out, where he says, we don't all have the luxury of deciding when and where we want to care about something. And I think that's important to keep in mind when it comes to politics. Right now in the United States, we we are not, we try not to delve into politics super hard on this show, but I know that there has been a giant wake up call here in the United States about how secure our rights actually are. And there's discussion on people being genuinely surprised that our rights are as precarious as they are. And I think that this notion of Jen doesn't really care about the rebellion until she suddenly has a reason to care, and Cassian calls her out on this having been a pretty shitty attitude for her to have, is very interesting and timely, this discussion that they're having. The notion of, oh, you've now been personally affected, so suddenly it's real for you. He says, suddenly the rebellion is real to you. This is such an interesting like we talked about the politics of obi-wan kenobi this movie is such a great exploration of how people interact with politics yeah and we have cassian who has lost himself in the fight he's been fighting for so long that he doesn't remember why he's fighting he's fighting to fight he's fighting for the cause but he's now just become a tool of that cause whereas jen has never cared because it, she thinks it doesn't affect her and she didn't think she could do anything about it, coming to realize that it does affect her. I would also like to thank this movie for the line, I've been in this fight since I was six years old. Because do you know when I first watched Star Wars, Bradley? When you were six years old. I was six years old. I have deployed this line many times. You've been in this fight since you were six I've years old. I've been in this fight since I was six years old. Uh, I actually recently asked my parents... Because if you've listened to the show, you know the story. And again, I will preface this by saying my parents have changed a lot as people over the past 30 years. They are not the same people as they were before. They are much more tolerant and and accepting now. But back in the day when I was a very young child, they were super concerned about like exposing their children to media. We weren't allowed to watch TV. There was a lot we weren't allowed to, like we weren't, I didn't see a Disney movie until I was, probably like seven, six or seven years old, but we were allowed to watch Star Wars. And I recently asked like, why were we allowed to watch Star Wars? Because it was the only like really secular movie we could watch. And we watched it over and over and over again. And the answer I got was, well, we had seen it uh, and we thought it was fine. And we thought there wasn't anything really in there. And I, I looked at the parent that I was having the conversation with and I was like, you guys just liked the movie, didn't you? You were just making an exception because you liked the movie. They did not answer in the affirmative, but I choose to believe that was part of that. So I, I was, I've been in Star Wars for a very, very long time, and it was around six years old. It's funny you say that because I had a very similar experience in that, like when I was young, my parents didn't let us watch anything, you know, and 
that's because my dad was a pastor. And so we had like, I remember at one point in time, we had this really shitty cable network or whatever that was Christian based. So oh, like there, God, was, yeah. there was only like six channels on that fucking thing. I, I vaguely remember this. So if anybody knows the name of it, it's, it's called, it was called like Sky TV or like Heaven TV or some bullshit. And I remember because like the only thing I could ever watch on there was like fucking puppets singing about Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Jesus. So I, I remember that so explicitly. And then the only other thing we had in our house was, I'm not even joking you. Like I, the only three films that I watched as a kid were The Sound of Music, uh, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars New Hope and Titanic. Those were the see. The I wasn't even allowed to watch Titanic. Our well, uh, I say that with preference because I wasn't allowed to watch the second half because that's the ones with the boobs in it or whatever, or whatever <laughs> part, whatever part she's naked in. I wasn't. You were allowed, allowed to watch, to watch the tape. first half, right? See, I our ours was Chariots of Fire, so there's like an adult movie, and then Star Wars that right. you're allowed to watch. See, yeah, they mine were like really concerned about like OTV oh, will rot your brain, movies will watch your brain rot your brain all of that so our thing was books we were allowed to read books but it was all like religious books so it was like children's bible stories and things there was some star wars books that in my late single digit years i was able to get my hands on uh i didn't start reading the eu until i was kind of in high school yeah i i had the same experience and like you get super attached to it because it's the only thing that you can watch i was obsessed with the titanic as a kid because i'm a a history buff yeah uh, and we all go through a titanic phase every single one of us goes through a titanic phase but i was not allowed to watch the movie when it came out and it wasn't because of the boobs it was because of the scene where they're all floating in the water and they're dead really which was really funny because titanic comes out in 1999 i believe about three years later in 2002 i believe was when two towers came out and mm-hmm. Two Towers features the Dead Marshes. And my mother did not know about the Dead Marshes. I knew about it from the book, or she had glossed over it in the book. She had read the book, but she'd kind of glossed over it. I was like, oh, there's bodies in the water. And then I was watching the movie at home, and we got to the part with the Dead Marshes. She was like, oh, my God, there's bodies floating in the water. This is horrifying. I was like, yeah, this is the stuff you, weren't, you wouldn't let me watch when I was right. nine. Ugh. I just want to thank the screenwriters of Rogue One for that one line. Orson Krennic is summoned to an unnamed lava planet where he meets with the ominous Sith Lord Darth Vader. Darth Vader tells Krennic that his failure will not be tolerated and his job now is to ensure that Galen Erso has not compromised the Death Star project in any way. Krennic attempts to throw Tarkin under the bus and weasel his way back into a position of command, but Vader has no patience for this and chokes Krennic, delivering a sassy dad joke as he walks away. Yeah, Mustafar is is the only planet not subtitled, and they didn't want to give away that that's where Krennic was. But it's like, you're going to show Darth Vader in three seconds anyway, so why the fuck would you not just say Mustafar? You know what I mean? Like, well... And I, I remember when the trailer came out and there's a shot of the Royal Guards in the back to tank and we were like, who's in the back to tank? Is it Vader in the back to tank? What's going on here? So I guess they wanted to save the reveal that it is Vader for the ominous silhouette right? or for the, the person in the back to tank. 
But yeah, it's the only one they don't subtitle. We also see the first instance of Darth Vader's Doom Fortress. The Doom Fortress has shown up in multiple pieces of media since then, including but not limited to uh, the Tales from Vader's Castle, Star Wars Adventures comic line. It has shown up in the main Star Wars comic line. Uh, It was alluded to in Star Wars Rebels when Kanan is brought above Mustafar. Uh, And most recently, the Doom Fortress has shown up in Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, as Darth Vader. So this is our first instance of the Doom Fortress. Uh, We also get our first look at a character named Vane. Do you remember anything about Vane? Oh, is that from the Lego thing? He is the the guy who is Tony Hale is playing, I think, in the Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales. Vane has shown up mainly in... um, He's Vader's servant. Actually, no. No, he's mainly shown up in the Tales from Vader's Castle Halloween series. That is where he is mainly known from. But yes, he did also show up. He is played by a actor named Martin Gordon. Martin Gordon's kind of a that guy actor. But he's... Martin Gordon has been acting since 1958. He has been... He has had a career... A career. He was in Doctor Who in 1971. So he was in the pre-reboot Doctor Who. He was in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, and he plays Vane here. Vane has not appeared in anything before now. I thought he was one of the people in the Emperor's Throne Room and Return of the Jedi. That is not correct. And he is also not the guy played by Malcolm McDowell in season four of Rebels. That is uh, Varys Hayden is the the character who's at the dig site that was originally supposed to be Vane. You know, the the char- the Malcolm McDowell character trying to right. break into the world between worlds. That was supposed to be Vane and was scripted to be Vane, but okay. uh, originally they moved a little too far away from the character, so they replaced him with a new character. Hmm. That is information on Vane. Well, give him his own series. <laughs> he he kind of has his own series in, uh, in the Tales from Vader's Castle. There was a big question in the trailer for this as to why the Royal Guards were here. And and it goes to my next point, which is the Emperor is not in this movie, but he is all over it. They are constantly talking about the Emperor. Tarkin and and Krennic are are constantly jostling for the Emperor's favor. And Krennic is really, Krennic spends a bunch of this movie trying to get a meeting with the Emperor. Because he's like, if I can just get in the room with the Emperor, I can tell him about what's going on. But yeah, he's all over the place. So he's clearly sent his some of his royal guard to keep an eye on Vader, which I think is an interesting choice. I remember, remember I mentioned a little bit earlier the imperial politics. Right. A lot of it is centered around the emperor and people trying to get meetings with the emperor and what the emperor says and who the emperor talks to and why is he not talking to Krennic. Uh, and Vader is the closest that Krennic can actually get to the emperor. Vader is basically the guy that summons you if the emperor doesn't want to deal with you, but somebody has to deal with you because Vader can act basically unilaterally. And I, I find it interesting too, because correct me if I'm wrong, but in this scene, um, he talks about how they have to still deal with the Senate. They have to still deal yes. with that so the, stuff. The Senate the gets dissolved. The Senate gets dissolved in a new hope. Got so it. yeah, the Senate is also mentioned several times in this movie. They want to bring Galen back. Well, they say they want to bring Galen back to testify in front of the Senate. Right. Obviously, that's not the actual plan, but they also uh, they also like, yeah, here say that the Senate has been told that it is destroyed in a mining accident. Obviously, that's not correct. So we see I think we will see a lot in Andor the Imperial Senate. I, I like that because it plays into, again, more like the politics of 
we're, what we're doing to start the empire isn't necessarily like good. Like we're, we're like secretly behind the scenes trying to do right. stuff to make it more powerful. Well, it harkens, it harkens back to Rome too, that the Rome still had a Senate into Imperial Rome. They just, their right. power was neutered. And the same thing is happening here. The emperor has been kind of neutering the power of the Senate over 20 years until he finally gets rid of the Senate. Once he has the Death Star, he has no need for the Senate. They don't need the Senate to keep systems in line. They have the Death Star. And they're going to cede control over to the regional governors. I just love Vader's sass in this scene. Its potential to cause problems has certainly been confirmed. I just love how, yeah, he's just a good I mean, it's not, I keep saying dad jokes, but he's like, he keeps doing these hilarious just little quips. And you're just like, what does he do all day in that back to tank? He thinks of dad jokes. He thinks, he of, thinks of the dad tank. jokes. He thinks of the dad jokes. That is exactly what he does. Right. I love it. And I, I love that, like, the minute Krennic says, well, you know, it was, um, it was, was, Tarkin who suggested the test and Vader's like okay moving on from <laughs> this I love that loves it and of course y- you love the don't choke on your aspirations which was criticized at the time and then I'm like have you people watched Empire Strikes Back that's what I'm saying I'm like are you people stupid like this my is favorite, prime my favorite star. Darth Vader line of all time mm-hmm. is when Captain Nita's like I will go to Lord Vader and apologize and then cuts to Admiral Nita choking on the floor and Vader saying there, apology accepted, Captain Nita. <laughs> it's the same. It's essentially the same fucking line. Like he's just changing it to Krennic and then it's just like slightly adjusting. I mean, it's. Well, early, early, like one of the, the things that people were mad about when Disney first acquired is they started taking like microphone, mic, 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 magnifying glasses. Why are I going to microphones? Yeah. Probably because there's one in my fucking face right now. Right. You would take a magnifying glass and people would say, oh, this doesn't make sense for Vader to say this. This doesn't make sense for whoever to say this. And I'm like, have you actually watched the movies? Like exactly. people think of Vader as this like catastrophic killing badass, which he is, but he also makes terrible jokes that amuse only him. Right. So yes, you can have an exchange where um, Vader is surrounded by rebel troopers and the rebel troopers say you are surrounded and Vader ignites his lightsaber and says, all I am surrounded by is fear and dead men. And then you could have the same character when confronting Luke Skywalker and Luke Skywalker says, you killed my father. The response is, I have killed many fathers. You will have to be more specific. These are the same character. Back on Yavin 4, the Rebellion Council debates what to do next. Most of them want to surrender, but one of them, Admiral Raddus, is determined to fight. Jen makes an impassioned speech, echoing Cassian's earlier line that rebellions are built on hope but most of the council votes not to send their troops to Scarif and Mon Mothma grudgingly has to go along with. So we're going to do some more actors. Okay. We're gonna, these are the only ones we're doing for this section. Um, we're going to absolutely blast through some of these. We are going to do the four other people in the council meeting we haven't already met. And that is going to be, first up is Senator Vaspar. Okay. Uh, he is played by... Fairs, fairs, fairies, fairies. I apologize for the mispronunciation Great name. of your name. He's been in Wheel of Time as the Dark One. He's been in Westworld. He's been in a few different things. Uh, he is playing Senator Vesper, Vaspar. Uh, Senator Jebel 
is being played by Jonathan Aris. Jonathan Aris is, you've probably seen his face. He has a very distinctive face. He was in Sherlock as Anderson. Uh, if you were in Tumblr between 2012 and 2015, you've seen this guy. <laughs> you've seen Anderson. Um, he's in Dark his Dark Materials as Commander Roke. He's going to be in the upcoming third season. He was in The End of the Fucking World. That's actually the title of it. <laughs> Uh, as Professor Clive Koch. He's been in a bunch of different things. Uh, Senator Jebel, who he is playing, I want to pull up a fun fact about Noah Jebel. Noah Jebel eventually will become the Minister of Finance for the New Galactic Senate. So he is one of the Alliance cabinet members here. He will eventually go work for the New Republic as a Minister of Finance. Senator Palmo, who is uh, the woman, that isn't Mon Mothma, is being played by Sharon Duncan Brewster. Uh, Sharon Duncan Brewster has been in, in things that I recognize. Uh, she's been in sex education as Roz Marchetti. She's in the upcoming The Swarm. She is a voice actress for the FIFA games. She's been in EastEnders. She's been in a few different things. And then finally, let's talk about who's playing Admiral Raddus. Okay. Admiral Raddus has two actors that are playing him. Obviously, There's the yeah. body capture and the voice. Body is being done by a gentleman named Paul Casey. Paul Casey has been in, he's in Doctor Who, uh, multiple episodes as Odd Sigma, Jadoon Captain, Whisper Man, Zygon. He does a lot of like the, the creature work on Doctor Who. Right, right, right. Um, he's been in all three sequel films. He's Eloasti, uncredited in The Force Awakens. And he's Kai Theranali in Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. He's also been in Being Human, The Sarah Jane Adventures, Torchwood, and Torchwood as various creature work. Admiral Raddus is being voiced by Stephen Stanton. And if you've watched a Star Wars thing, you have heard Stephen Stanton's voice. He is the voice of Admiral Tarkin in Clone Wars Rebels and The Bad Batch. Uh, I mistakenly thought that he was the voice of Tarkin in this movie. However, oh. that is Guy Henry providing the voice of Tarkin. Interesting. It was so close. They're both so good that I mistakenly thought it was Stephen Stanton. Stephen Stanton has been doing Star Wars for a long time. He's the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi as well on Rebels. He's the voice of Ben Kenobi in Masa Maiden, Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga. He's been in Looney Tunes. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Good God. He's been in Star He's Griff Halloran in Star Wars Resistance. He's been on an episode of Supernatural. He is the voice of Cod's Good Creeps. He's been on Family Guy. You know who this dude is. He's voicing Admiral Raddus in this movie. Fun fact about Admiral Raddus, the ship in Last Jedi that Vice Admiral Holdo rams into the supremacy yes. is called the Raddus. Oh, okay. So it had to be named after him. It was named after him. Love there's that. there's one of two call forwards in this movie to The Last Jedi. Uh, and this is one of them. That That is called the Raddus. I don't know if it's identified as such in the film, but these are all of our actors that we're seeing in this scene playing the, the Alliance cabinet. I like how General Draven correctly calls the plot of Return of the Jedi when he's like, uh, the Emperor might be leaking this information to lure us into a final confrontation. And Mon Mothma's literally sitting right next to him. And she doesn't remember this conversation three years later. It does not occur to her that it could be a trap. It's a trap. This isn't the only time they said it's a trap in this movie, though, right? I feel um, like it was earlier, a little slightly earlier. Earlier in the movie, some Saul says it's a trap. Right. He's like, this is a trap. Like, you're trying to trick us or something. Yeah. Right. Draven points out, I just like that he correctly called the plot. 
of, um, of uh, the future movie. Also, I want to talk about why why Admiral at uh, God, such a fucking alliteration. Admiral, why can't I say it? At Akbar? No, not Akbar. Radis. Radis. Okay. Admiral Radis. Admiral Radis. I don't know why I was trying to say a Radis. Admiral Radish. Admiral Radish. <laughs> why? Why is it him? Why is it Radis instead of Akbar? It was. Is there a reason? Do we know? Um. Because I feel like I that was another behind the scenes so. thing where they changed I, it. I think it's because he's gonna die at the end of the movie. I believe it's because he's gonna. Oh nope. So from Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, I have some it. information. A uh, couple of things. As stated by, I'm quoting directly from Wikipedia here. Right. As stated by Neil Scanlon, the creature effects supervisor on Rogue One, a Star Wars story, Admiral Raddus was inspired by Winston Churchill, the prime minister of the United Kingdom, who famously led his country through World War II. Raddus's role was origi- in the story was originally intended to be filled by Admiral Akbar. But following Akbar's appearance in the 2015 film, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, his inclusion in the Battle of Scarif was dropped and the Radis character was created instead. So he was he was in Force Awakens. He was going to be in The Last Jedi. They didn't want to keep overusing the character. Oh, yeah. uh, and they also wanted to do kind of a Winston Churchill thing. Well, and I, and I also liked how when they they did use him in this, they also had the other two, um, uh, not Corrin, um, what am I? Mon Cala. Mon Cala. They had the other two in the background who were another color. So like there was a third color um, they're like almost like white or albino or something, right? In this one. Uh, yeah, I think um, they're kind of white. They're all kind of white bluish. Right. So I like that one, it shows different skin tones of them. Like there's like the orange, there's the brown, there's the, you know, the white. Like I like just, I like a variation of an alien species. I don't like them all to look exactly the same because it's, it is lazy when they're all like one color and you're like, okay, well, this doesn't, make any sense because what we know is there's has got to be a slight difference in species if they're all from different places and stuff so i don't know i just thought it was nice that they included him i maybe it was the fact that he sounded too similar to akbar that i was kind of eh you know what i mean like i feel like they yeah steven stanton is steven stanton is doing winston churchill and george Patton by way of admiral akbar right i feel like i needed a, a just a different voice like i feel like that was the problem with it for me, anyway. Uh, and I, I did check the source on Wikipedia. It is The Last Jedi Incredible Cross-Sections does confirm that Radis does go down with the profundity at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So when the Tanavi 4 escapes, they blow up the profundity, and he is on board the profundity when it is blown up. Damn. Okay, well, rest in peace. Oh, I have one more note. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel really bad for Mon Mothma in this sequence. Because you can tell, and there's a later sequence we'll get to when we get to Act 3, you can really tell she wanted to send troops to Scarif. But Mon Mothma's flaw is that she believed that the Republic system, the Democratic system, was the best way to approach any given problem. And, well, you could argue if it was a flaw or not, but her being beholden to a council of people who are freaking out and fleeing the second things get hard really must suck for her. I think we're going to return to this character and, and have a lot to say about her after the events of Andor. And particularly, I will now bring up Contingency Plan. Mon Mothma was, if the Death Star wasn't able to be destroyed, going to surrender. She worked, Contingency Plan is about her working through every potential contingency. The one she settles on, spoilers for Contingency Plan, she's going to surrender if they can't blow up the Death Star. Right. 
And clearly she doesn't want to. She wants to exhaust every possible opportunity, but she's also a woman who thinks through everything that she does. And sometimes that is mistaken as caution, but in reality, she's considering every possible outcome before she acts. So I just, I feel bad for her in this meeting. Jin storms out of the meeting, frustrated at the fact that the Rebel Alliance isn't going to do anything, and meets up with Cheridan Bays. Cassian arrives with a whole group of Rebel soldiers who have decided to go rogue and go to Scarif to retrieve the Death Star plans themselves. Cassian says they've all done terrible things in the name of the rebellion, but that it has to be worth something. And so they are going to go and give them this chance to destroy the Death Star. K2 also says he will be there for Jen because Cassian said he had to. End of act two. We do hear the name General Sindula being called in the briefing room, or as she leaves the briefing room. Now, this came out in between seasons of Rebels. Uh, I believe between seasons one and two. Okay. We did not know at the time what was going to happen to the characters. So there was a lot of people were like, did we actually hear General Sindula? Is Hera going to become a general? And Rebels does reveal that, yes, she does. So uh. that is General Hera Sindula being called to the briefing room. I think we're going to come back to Cassian's speech in a new light after Andor, when he's talking about all the bad things he did for the rebellion. I think that that's a good speech now, and we've already seen it with the Galen Urso stuff, but we're going to come back to it in a new light later. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. Also, his line to Jen, uh, which is the line that also closes out if you're watching along with us, uh, when he says, welcome home, I think is something that'll hit harder after the Andor series. Right. Uh, the, the reason I picked this scene to end on is it's kind of the emotional culmination of the team. Uh, this is the moment where the team finally comes together and is going to be a team. This is the formation of Rogue One right here in this moment. Yeah, no, I definitely, uh, I love this little bit because I, I hope that they do something similar to this in the Andor show where we're going to get, I mean, I hope they do have new characters that we haven't met before. Um, kind of like what Kenobi did, which was, you know, you added new characters like Reva and, you know, the characters that we wanted to get to know in, in, in that space alone. I feel like I hope that Andor does a similar thing to where we get characters like this, um, little side characters who are maybe more like rebel-esque characters who are here and maybe honestly bringing some of these characters back and maybe that's why they trust Cassian so much and why they are willing to follow him and yeah, because it, someone in this group maybe. I brought up Tivik in, in act one. I hope Tivik comes back so the betrayal hits harder. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to see Melshi again and see why he's he's so loyal to Cassian. Who's the, um, who's the one played by uh, Warwick Davis? Oh, I want to say let's let me let me confirm that. Okay. Because I don't I don't just want to be like short <laughs> person, person. Right, in right, Star right. Wars must have been played by I want to give the credit that it's properly due. Right. I just know that he plays someone in this movie. So I just want to make sure I'm I'm referencing the right person or the right character. Or is that maybe he's one of Saw Guerrero's people? He is not. He is uh who is Warwick Davis playing in this movie? Because Pal is being played by uh Derek Arnold with with physical expressions performed by Phil Woodbine. Let's find out who Warwick Davis is playing in this movie. Yeah, because I know he is. I just don't remember which character it is. Uh let's see. He is in this movie. He is Weetief Siubay. Okay. He is I, one of Sargarera's partisans. Ah, uh, damn. Okay. Never mind. 
Yeah, he's one of Sagarar's partisans. Okay, never mind. I was, I was, that's why I was confused. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, maybe he'll show up again, but no, he won't. Um, because he's a part of Sagarar's team. What's the big? I think guy? originally some of originally some of Sagarar's partisans were supposed to join up with the rebellion and be on Scarif, and I think that got cut. Right. Question in in the I mean, obviously this is like in the next act, but it would be relevant because he's a part of the group. The big white um, alien the hairy alien or whatever good question let's let's look him up is he in both the sagrera's people scenes and in the rebel scenes i feel like he's on the beach scenes am i, I wrong so i if i'm remembering correctly which i don't know why i can't think of it right now or why i don't remember i just watched the movie but i just like it's blanking in my mind if he actually shows up because i know there's an alien character in this rebel team that's the one that has the big mouth or whatever that like screams. Yeah, it's Pal. That's Pal. Pal. Okay, yeah. okay. I, but I, I feel like the the Yeti looking character also is a part of the group. No, I believe he was supposed to be, and I think he got cut out. Because I know he's in I, the, I, the earlier remember scenes. I, remember, I said that originally some of Sagar's partisans were supposed to join up with the rebellion and be on Scarif. Right. Um, I I think they axed them out of the movie, and I can't find a convenient like thing that tells me the list of people who got were it, got in it, got it. Rogue One, uh, the actual team itself. I don't gotcha. think he's there canonically. Maybe I'm just like misremembering him being there. Or I think he's in the like the marketing. Some of the toy packaging had him being there. Yeah, I literally and, have a Funko Pop of him. Um, yeah, and and the. The trailers, the original trailer showed him being there, but I don't think he's ever there in the movie. Okay. I, well, I know he's on the beach, I guess. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Maybe I'm misremembering the beach versus the market scenes, like where it's all first attacks of people. Because I know he's in that scene for like a hot there is a lot of There is a lot of sand and it is coarse and rough and it gets everywhere. <laughs> I like how we're harping on just like one tiny little aspect of this movie, but... Um, Welcome to Gold Squad and Gaze. We don't right. know how to stay Sorry. on Moving on. five goddamn Move- minutes. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, that is where I have chosen to end Act 2. Awesome. Uh, we are at minute 1 hour, 21 minutes, and 24 seconds. Uh, Bradley, what are your final thoughts on the, the Act 2 of the movie, Edu, and what the aftermath of Edu? Um, I think it's definitely setting up the final, most glorious third act. Yes. Um, that this does suffer from, you know, just being in the middle, unfortunately. Um, I do believe that it does it does do a good job of setting up all the different things that are going to happen in the third act that are so glorious. Um, and, you know, I I like seeing um, the rebel scenes. Um, I love whenever we're on uh, um, Yevon 4 and I like the almost the behind the scenes like esque ver- version of it because we got a little bit of it in, you know, the movie, obviously the, the main movies. And but I like seeing Mon Mothma. I like seeing, you know, Jimmy. And I like seeing all the all those characters. I don't know. I just like seeing like the behind the scenes of the rebel base. Like I, I love seeing all that stuff. But um, I definitely, like I said before, the Vader scene felt a little out of place in this section, especially since you have the emotional weight of the stuff on Edu. And then you cut to this random thing with Vader and he's being kitschy and stuff. And then you cut to this rebel council meeting that's very serious and they're like all arguing. And I don't know, it, it's it's a weird section. Yeah, my, my final thought is that, that act one sort of set up who these characters are. Act two is kind of about maneuvering them into place for the third act. All of it's fine. I I tell people like the Rogue One, the script is, is not really as good as you think it is. That just has a really kick-ass third act. And the script is good, mind you. 
but it's not like a perfect script by any stretch of the imagination. The way I demonstrate this to people is I'm like, watch the first two acts of the movie, just the first two acts. It really is clear how much the third act kind of nails the landing. And I think that is important for the film. I think that's what it was trying to do was it was trying to build up to Scarif and it sacrificed things over the course of the first and second acts to get to the Battle of Scarif, which is by the time we get to Scarif, we need to have completed our character arcs already. And I think that a lot of the character stuff is happening to where they need to land at the end of the second act where the team really forms for the first time. All righty. Well, we are going to head on into act three. Maybe God knows if the summer vacation special is coming out in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or- I think it might. We might have to split this between the summer vacation episode. We'll, we'll see when it, it's supposed to air, but maybe the I summer believe- vacation will be jammed in the middle. Maybe, maybe the summer yeah, vacation will be after. I don't fucking know. I don't. I guess it doesn't really matter where it goes because it's, it's just summer vacation. <laughs> It'll, we will cram that thing in somewhere. Right. That'll, we will find a hole for it. If there's one thing we're good at here at Gold Squadron Gates, it's finding the hole. <laughs> finding the hole. And on that note. And on that note, we are going to run the socials. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. Actually, cut this whole bit. Uh, This is not going to be relevant to you. Okay, so you just want to move on? Yeah, I just want to move on. Okay.